0: For his church. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. "'Rise and make your bed.' And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room.' And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, in the face of these marvelous events, accomplished through the risen Lord Jesus, we see your tenderness, we see your mercy, we see church's uh, bedside manner. Make us like that, confident of your power and your grace, willing to go near to those who are hurting and broken and to see your work and to give credit to your glory and power, which is what accomplishes all these great things. Accomplish that in our own hearts, raise us out of our sins, raise us to a joyful, fruitful life in Jesus in his name. Amen. <clears throat> Well, we're in the season of people getting engaged. It was, in case you forgot, it was Valentine's Day last week. Uh, at the end of this message, we're gonna hear, uh, some, uh, brothers and sister, uh, take vows, uh, of living out their covenant of faith in Jesus Christ together, uh, with us. And so, it, it had me thinking a lot about these vows that, that, uh, people, um, take because their love uh, it can't just stay inside of them. It has to take shape, and it has to take shape as a lifestyle. And it, as we all know, the, those faithful words that are easier to say than to live, I, I take you to be my husband or wife in sickness or in health, in want or in plenty, as, both, as, as long as we both shall live. And we see here the, the church of Jesus, which is described as a bride in the New Testament, We see that she is beautiful. She is radiant. She is blossoming under the love and the grace of Jesus, who is is seated on a throne in heaven, but he's delivering all of his love and his riches and his grace into his people. And as we're going to see uh, throughout this passage, through his people. So that people are blessed. People are encouraged. Their lives are telling the story of God's rich mercy and power. And grace. So look at verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. So we see really, what is this saying about Jesus? It says Jesus is a church planter. Not only is Jesus interested in claiming individual people, but he's collecting a people. We just sang it as children of uh, the risen king, gathering children home. He's doing that. He doesn't just love touching you and then you and you and you. He wants to put you together, not in just the same room, but in this thing called the church, which is his body, through which he lives out his grace in the world. He lives it through you, by changing you, transforming you, and flowing his grace through you. And this word, we, we just throw it around like an everyday word, but this is a beautiful word, the word church, ecclesia, ecclesia called out and then gathered together. Because it doesn't mean people of common interest, common background. What does it mean? It means they are gathered under one hope, gathered under one savior and under one king. And so that all that was going on in the, in the wonderful and numerous uh, conversions that we see in the early part of Acts, all of those lives are being collected into the church. And it's being built up. This is a beautiful word. Uh, The word uh, economics comes from the root of this. He's building his people. This word means like a house, like a household. He's fitting them together and, 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 and truth be told, he's putting us uncomfortably close to one another, uh, so that there can be both joy and friction and forgiveness and reconciliation. And we see that throughout uh the book of Acts. Is that God is gathering a people, He's pressing them together, sometimes in the crucible of persecution, but in this case, in just the, the joy is bubbling up. God is blessing them, He's building up, and they are amazingly at peace. With one other. And that's a miracle that only comes through uh, the gospel and the Prince of Peace. And they're walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, which means God's at work in them. This isn't a social experiment. This is definitely not a social contract. This is a miracle where God is taking a multinational and a multi-ethnic people and forming them into one body. So much so that one of the early church fathers said, Christians are a third race. We can't figure them out. They're not Romans. They're not Greeks. They're not Jews. They're not from any of the nations. They're from everywhere, but they're from nowhere. They're from the gospel. Jesus has happened to these people, and therefore they are being bound together in love. And it doesn't just add people to this church. What happens to the church? It multiplies. That this gospel, as it gets hold of individuals, it starts to flow into other lives, and those people are called to the same hope, and they go, oh, wow. He'll forgive me? Yeah. Do you believe it? Yeah, I do. And so people are multiplied, not just added. And, and the influence of each individual Christian, we're going to see, cannot be underestimated. The stories that God wants to write out of your little story are still being told. And we're reading some of them right here. Of little lives, as, as Francis Schaeffer, who once stood at this pulpit, said, there are no little people we're going to hear people name just a paralytic guy that normally in most of Acts could just be guy, oh yeah, that guy at the gate. You know him. He's given a name. His, 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 the name his mom gave him. Peter calls and calls him to be healed. So our names matter, our stories matter, and God is writing his gospel story out of our stories. So much so that this was prophesied in Isaiah 55 that God's word would do this, that it would create a joyful people and a fruitful people, and the whole earth and actually the whole creation would feel it and join in the celebration. One of my sons read this in class, and he says, can we read this for devotions? And so he read these verses from Isaiah 55. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth So even as this church was unified, and to use an old Puritan word, vivified, and then on mission, this thing is growing and it has life. But we're going to see in a minute that this joy is not the joy of the Super Bowl party and the eagles winning and high-fiving and and grown men crying and, and hugging each other. It's a different kind of joy. It's a joy that walks amidst the thorn bushes and sees that God causes blooms to grow there. Right in the valley of the shadow of death, right in the place of suffering and pain and alienation, God is bringing his joy. So think about, we see in this passage, Peter is now on the road. In chapter 8, it says the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, but the whole uh, Hellenistic Jewish component of the church were, were forced to flee because their friend, their brother, uh, the first deacon Stephen, had been killed, and Saul was there approving of his death. But now, think about it. Um, some of you with small children, once they start walking... You're like, wow, we're in a whole new uh, zone now. I don't have to carry them everywhere, but it's like, yeah, but they're about the height of the outlets, and and so it gets a lot more exciting. But it, but there's certain things that are like, we don't have to do that anymore. So think of these apostles as this baby can walk. This baby church is building itself in love. This baby church is multiplying. We don't have to babysit this church. Let's go, uh, it's kind of like it's March, believe it or not, next week. Um, you know, tax refunds are coming in. It's like, we got a little bit of money. Nobody has the flu right now. We're not on antibiotics. Let's go on a little road trip to see some people, right? And so this is Peter. Nobody's in jail. Nobody's getting killed. Um, actually, God just converted the church's biggest enemy. So, He's like, I think it's safe to travel. We're going to go see the church, go see the saints in the places outside of Jerusalem, specifically these these Hellenistic Jewish uh, believers. And so he's out there, as Isaiah 55 says, he's led out with joy that the church is at peace, and he wants to go rejoice over those saints. Look at what it calls those Christians. I want to go see the saints who are out in the towns, out in in these specific two uh, cities, or Lida. Lydda and Joppa. If you've ever flown into Ben Gurion uh, Airport in Tel Aviv, you've flown into this town where we meet Aeneas. And it's interesting that, that this joy of the party, so to speak, of this unified church is now going to be brought to the bedside that it's not just for the high fives, it's not just for filling the stadiums, it's for this joy, it brings us to the places of brokenness where we begin to minister the mercy and the grace of the risen Jesus. Because normally we've seen previously, as I said, the no-name um, beggars in Jerusalem, but this man, we have his name. It's the same name as, you know, Virgil Aeneid, I can't even pronounce it. I have to have one of my eighth graders tell me how to do it. Um, but this is a man. He has a story. What's his story? Eight years bedridden because he was paralyzed. So if you think about it, his whole world was about 12 square feet. This word bed is pallet. Just imagine sleeping on a pallet for eight years in the corner of the kitchen or corner of the family room. Everybody walking by you doing their thing Everyone had to take care of you, or maybe they didn't. And so he watched the world go by. If Aeneas was a young man, imagine his caregivers, his mother, his father, his aunt, his his siblings, or, or someone paid from the community to come care for him. Or if he was a married man with children, imagine eight years not being the breadwinner for his family, watching his family be in need, and he couldn't do anything about it. Others caring for you day and night. You'd say, that sounds sweet. I'd love to be waited on. But it's a whole different story when that is your life. And you can do nothing for yourself. Whether by illness or by accident, his story was one of lost productivity and maybe lost relationships. And to this bedside comes the apostle Peter, who had preached to thousands, but now it's an audience of one. We're not even sure if he's a brother in Christ at this point, from there's no designation there. But on this day, at this bedside, Jesus is coming. Coming to bless someone that is broken and alienated and kept from uh, their ability to serve and, and bless the world in many ways. But notice what Peter says to him. Jesus Christ, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you present tense verb you might say well he could have said has healed you and i'm just delivering you the news so get up right um you might expect peter to ask do you want to be healed would jesus actually ask that sometimes and some of you would say duh yes eight years uh, paralyzed i would want to be healed what but what does he say He doesn't ask, do you believe you can be healed? Sometimes people with illness or disability are saying, you don't have enough faith. That's why you haven't been healed. It's not only being disabled, that you're also then disheartened. Well, I just can't muster up enough faith for my miracle. It's got my name on it, but I can't reach into heaven and grab it. But what does Peter say? He declares it. Jesus Christ heals you. But what came immediately after was a command or or more like an invitation to Aeneas to ironically, and maybe you might think cruelly, to act on that truth. Because what does he say? Get up and make your bed. And all the moms in the room said, yeah, I've been saying that a lot. Um, It doesn't happen. I wish I had the power to make, make that happen, right? It seems to be a mockery of him. No, this bed is my world. I'm confined to it. But look at what Peter is placing in front of Aeneas. Jesus Christ heals you. Are you going to act on that belief? Do you believe that he can? If you do, get up. And what does it say next? He got up. And everything changed, not only for Aeneas, but also the town. It says they see Aeneas walking around, and it says many turned, what, to the Lord. And what's so weird as a preacher and a a Bible scholar to look at this is you would expect Peter to make the most of this situation. Jesus Christ has healed this man. Let me tell you about him. We don't have any sermon here. We don't have any extended explanation. What does it mean? Well, one of the things that I think it means is that Aeneas was going to be the preacher of the news But only by telling the simple truth, Jesus Christ healed me. That's all I know. I'm walking, Jesus Christ healed me. If you want to know more, talk to this guy, right? And so he was walking around. He was a living testimony of God's healing and gracious power. But this makes us a little nervous. You'd say, well, is this passage teaching us a uh, recipe for healing? You just go into places and say, Jesus Christ heals you because it's that simple. And what we have here is mostly data and not very much interpretation other than Jesus Christ healed him and he's walking. But as Reformation Christians who live by the principle that Scripture interprets Scripture, we have to think about what should we make of this miracle? What is the purpose of it and and how normal is this? And what's the normal operation of of God at work in the world? And the writer of Hebrews says this in chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 where he talks about salvation and and the role of miracles and miraculous signs. He says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. So he's talking about the ministry of Jesus, who both was a speaker and a healer. Now, if Jesus was just a healer, we might be tempted to just set up healing services or healing centers and call it Jesus the healer ink right come and be healed because jesus is the healer but what is it saying here it says jesus was declaring the kingdom of god that he was not only wanting to address the physical ailments of people but the greatest ailment of every person which is the sin that alienates us from god and ourselves and creation and the whole world and that has brought us the death and the damage and the disability that that we experience we're in a broken world because we broke it because of our sin. So going on, he says, while God also bore witness to this message of salvation that came through Jesus, his words and his deeds, God also bore witness by signs and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So why does God heal? What is is it supposed to do? Well, God's power and mercy are revealed definitely in this healing of aeneas demonstrations of his power like this we could say stay with me here make god believable meaning his supernatural shows of power and mercy break up hard ground that say does god ever do anything anymore Is it just this material world and this broken world is all that there is? That it begins to till up the ground so that the seed of the word can then fall on these hearts and they can hear the good news. Not just that Jesus Christ heals you, but that Jesus Christ heals all of you. And actually all of creation. He's addressing not only the f- broken fruits of, of sin, which is disease and death and, and alienation, but he's actually tackling the very root. He's bringing people back to God and uniting them with himself. And so this is the, the word and the sign and the power is pointing us to the word, which is able to make God known to us. That this powerful God has come near to us in the humility and the humiliation of Jesus to forgive our sins and to heal all kinds of things now, even as he will heal and even judge all things when he returns. Remember, Jesus healed someone and before he healed them, he said, your sins are forgiven you. And the, the teachers got all up in arms. Oh, only God can forgive sins. It's like, well, which is harder? Forgiving sins or healing the fruit of sin and all that's broken. And this is proof that that Jesus wants to do both. He's showing his power to point us to the word that he has come to make God known to us and salvation personal in each of our lives, whether or not our bodies are made new. So if salvation is reconciling us to himself, then he is able to also overcome the f- fruits of that sin And death. He has the power to do it. And what's the proof of that? That he can? The resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So Luke does something that he loves to do. He likes to include stories of people from the whole spectrum of life. Here we have a man bedridden uh, for eight years. And the next story, the next bedside, is actually when it was too late, when someone had passed away uh, believing. In Jesus. And so the second bedside we see as we close is that of a woman named Dorcas. Which doesn't sound like a compliment, but it's actually a beautiful word. In Hebrew, it means gazelle. This is a word most often used in the Song of Solomon for the beloved of, of the king. Beloved Dorcas, right? And so as Peter is preaching, as they're celebrating, uh, and the fruit is coming in from the harvest of, of believers, seeing Aeneas is uh, healing him walking around town. Two men rushed to him from a nearby town about 10 miles away, the town of Joppa, which is the, the modern-day town of Haifa, Israel there on the coast. Joppa was also where Jonah jumped a ship to run away from his mission, right? So it's a very historic place. But this was a very historic woman. Her name is Beautiful Gazelle. But the most beautiful thing about her, what is it? Her good deeds. It says she was rich in almsgiving and in mercy. So that all around her were a group of widows who were, you might think of it as a woman-owned business. It might have been a knitting circle. But do you notice that they introduced themselves to Peter by doing what? Look at the clothes that Dorcas made for us. She is the reason I am clothed. She cared for me and her care and her love for God, I felt it because it clothed it literally clothed me. What she did with her hands was something that she did with her love and her faith in Jesus. And it says when he gets there, they have honoringly washed her body and in traditional Hebrew fashion laid it in a room preparing for, uh, for burial. They would have closed the eyes. And all of this scene is very important because as they get there, there's all the mourners who are either the paid mourners that was often used in uh, this Middle Eastern context or this whole group of widows. We've lost our friend. She loved us with her life and with her hands, and we have lost a great treasure in losing Dorcas. But he says, leave the room. Peter doesn't want an audience. He doesn't want a show what does he want. He gets on his knees and he cries out to the Lord to raise this dear sister from the dead. Then the next words that come out of Peter's mouth He learned from his own master. The the literary irony is is beautiful here. Different by only one letter. Remember Jairus' daughter? The words in Aramaic are, Talitha kum. And the little girl woke up and got up and, and went to her parents. And Peter says in Aramaic, Tabitha kum. Tabitha, calling her own name. Get up get up and then it uses this word that was the same word used of aeneas and she arose you know what that word is the word anastasia resurrection she was raised what is this telling us jesus even though he's on his throne even though he has sent his spirit to work through his people on earth jesus is still healing people It's nothing magical about Peter. He's a great man, but he was a huge mess before the resurrection, right? But the risen Jesus is healing his brothers and sisters on earth through uh, his loving servants who come in mercy and tenderness at these bedsides. We see God's great power and God's great mercy. And armed only with prayer, God does this miracle. So what does he do? He takes her by the hand and leads her to her friends the ones who were just mourning and wailing and beating their breast in sadness for losing dorcas they now rejoice it says he handed her to them alive but there's always a skeptic right well maybe she just fainted right well no they had washed what does it say A body, right? And it says he spoke to, not Tabitha, but the body, but then called her by name. That is what Jesus does to us. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but together with Jesus, he made us alive by the Holy Spirit. He can do it with our our spiritual selves, and he can do it with our physical selves. His same great power and his same great mercy does both works. But this isn't just a show of raw power. Look at how God wants to write his story through Dorcas's story. As these friends who received back the sister from the dead, they were dressed in the tangible mercy of her seamstress hands, of her generous life, that she was generous with her time. And these were widows. Widows in many ways were the castoffs of society. They weren't productive anymore, they didn't have a husband, which gave them value in that culture, they were nothings, and she had collected these nothings and shown them in the love of Jesus that they were something, both to God and to her, and they were dressed in her love. Last weekend in this sanctuary, at this pulpit, person after person recounted the impact that Carrie Shancer had on their lives. And like Dorcas's friends, they were clothed in the love that Carrie had shown to them, the gospel that he had shared with them. Whether it was as a dad or whether it was as a friend or a coworker, as a fellow lover of Mexican food. He did all of that and, and people stood here and said, Carrie would want you to know Jesus So his life and Dorcas' life, our lives show the beauty of Christ. It's not about us. You could say he commandeers our lives so that others might be clothed, others might be loved, others might be healed by the rich mercy of Jesus. So if our faith is in Jesus, we will join Carrie on our own graduation day As we go from this life to the next or on the great resurrection day where all must then stand before this risen Jesus and know him either as savior or as judge. But as we see in this passage as these two bedsides, every Christian's story, whether it's through life or through death or life after death, is to the praise of God's grace and to the glory of Jesus, who is resurrected and he's resurrecting people by his grace all over the place so it says all after um, dorcas is raised all in joppa heard and many believed so joppa was the port town from which jonah sailed think about how the news would have spread across the shipping lanes of the mediterranean world there was someone besides jesus who has been raised from the dead and if you're ever in joppa go ask about dorcas and she makes beautiful clothes. Maybe she opened a dress shop in the front of her house, right? Because she had a story to tell. Jesus made me alive. I trusted him before. He made me alive and in my heart. He forgave my sins. But he also raised me from the dead. And he will raise us all. Believe in him. So there's no little people. There's no little places. But our stories tell his great worth, and his great power. Do you believe it? So little Aeneas and Dorcas, all they had to say is the story of what Jesus did. And we expect because of the story of the empty tomb, which isn't just a tall tale, it's real, and it's happened to each of us who believe in Jesus, we can then be led forth in peace with great joy, Expecting even the trees and the mountains to do a dance with us as we live in that joy forever and ever. So the Apostle Peter would say, like he said to his friends, rise up. Rise up, church. He has made you whole. He has made us new to be ministers of mercy and grace, expecting great things of a great God. Let's pray.